everyone. Welcome to Musea Podcast. My name is Michael Howard. I'm the founder and CEO of Musea. Uh, just a quick reminder that we are um, posting all these um, interviews to YouTube at youtube.com slash Musea. So definitely uh, subscribe. You can see all the visuals and the work of the photographers there. Uh, we are repurposing the audio for the podcast channel, but if you would like uh, to watch this on YouTube, uh, you can do that on our YouTube channel. So this interview is with Toki Rome Taylor. She's a photographer um, in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, she does fine art and she's an art educator and her work examines the, the creolization and hybridization of African cultural traditions and those brought to the new world through portraiture. So I think uh, her work is incredibly important and very inspiring. So I uh, hope you enjoy uh, this uh, conversation we had. And as always, thank you for listening. I'm Toki Taylor. Toki Rome Taylor. Um, Rome is my middle name, but I have a twin sister who is also in art life. So I make sure I include the Rome so we get the double duty of that middle, uh, that maiden name. I am a fine art photographer in the city of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I have been creating for myself for, I'm in my fourth year creating for myself, but I've been an arts educator for 22 years. And so spending years and years and years encouraging high schoolers in their passions and their creativity, teaching them photography and Photoshop and giving all this advice and I wasn't taking it myself. And so I had four kids in seven years. Yeah, I was wow. pregnant back to back, back to back. <laughs> and I, I kind of lost myself a little bit. And in doing and trying to get back to myself, I sank into art and I sank into my passion, which you see now, which is that fine art photography. And that was the way I carved out space for myself other than being a mom, a wife, and someone else's teacher. I went back to being the student and the creator. And so that's how we arrived at Toki Rome Taylor, visual artist, creator, fine art photographer. So I was going through your website um, and looking uh, at just kind of your history. And it seems mm-hmm. like the last five years for you has just kind of been an explosion in terms of getting in exhibitions and a lot of awards and things. So not even not uh, even five years. Yeah. So my daughter Ziggy is three. She'll be four mm. in June. Okay. And I started doing for me as soon as she stopped nursing. So she probably at six months, but all that time in between, it was me in my mind creating and planning Mm -hmm. on what I wanted to do and researching and learning. And so when I started making for myself, you know how with some artists, they might have that gap time where they're trying to find themselves. Well, I'd spent 22 years popping ideas out for high schoolers where they were ignoring me. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I, I always had these ideas and, you know, they would take my advice occasionally. But when I started making for myself, I had all these ideas and things that I wanted to do. And so, God bless, 
I didn't have much of a downtime. It it was very well received from the beginning. And I know that is not the typical case, as my sister will often remind me, Toki, you're a unicorn. Mm. Your winning streak is not typical. And I I don't take that for granted. But what I will acknowledge is it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of being very, very focused and not listening to naysayers because the naysayers will always be there. And also surrounding yourself with people who are supportive and who give great criticism, not, oh, that's nice. You know, that's not helpful. <laughs> right. And so just surrounding myself with a support system of individuals who gave great feedback and who also were already connected in. And so when people see that you are passionate about what you're doing and that you're speaking with your voice, they're there for you if you're connected to the right folks. And so I was, I have a great tribe of folks here in Atlanta. I'm very targeted in making sure that I expand the tribe of folks, not in a, my sister calls it user-friendly way, but more so in a way of authentic connection. And so I have a belief in that we all can rise together. We don't have this just, there's just this little piece of the pie and that's all there is. I feel like there's enough for everybody. And so I freely share information. I freely encourage others. That's just my spirit. And so what I put out, I get back tenfold. And so that that has been, I think, the most crucial part of my success that that being open-handed versus holding tight closed fist to mm. information to opportunities and even when i feel myself kind of doing it a little bit i talk myself back from it because you don't get success in my opinion but with your hands closed you get it by reaching out by being supportive by being encouraging and people see that and if you're doing it genuinely they connect to that so yeah, yeah. Yeah, community over competition. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So let's dive into your to your work a little bit. Um, let's say somebody gets on your website for the first time or sees your work for the first time. What is kind of the elevator pitch of like my work is about blank? So whether you're coming to me for me to commission work for you and your family and your children, or you're coming to me because you like the artwork that I create, the very foundation of all the work is an elevation. Um, if you go to my website, you see it's African-Americans. It's probably it's primarily African-American children. And the reason why I choose children as my primary subject matter, particularly in my own personal work, is when I was growing up, I didn't see myself, my, my child self. I didn't see myself in art spaces. So we have the High Museum here in Atlanta. And it's not, not like my mother had a lot of time to take me there or anything. But when the school took us, we didn't see ourselves on the wall. So can you imagine existing in a world where you love art, you love being creative, and you go to this, the hallowed halls of the High Museum, and you don't see yourself represented in the space? 
there's something that subconsciously happens to you, whether, of course, as a child, you're not cognizant of this. But as an adult, my understanding is that I was made to feel like I didn't belong. You think about what museums are. They are the repositories for what a culture values and what creatives deem to be of worth. What What's worth capturing? What's worth creating a painting over? What's worth creating a sculpture about? And then you're in the space and all you see are others and you never see anybody that looks like you. There's a subconsciousness of you're lesser than that happens inside that internal dialogue that all of us has. And so you couple that with you don't see yourself primarily in the teachings that are happening in the schools, the textbooks. You don't see much of a focus of you in elevation in the media. And so when I started making for myself, it was a conscious decision that all of the work that I make would be about elevation, empowerment, um, creating the illusion, not the illusion, excuse me, the image of strength and worth. And that's what you will always see in my work. It doesn't matter what particular um, thread I'm working on at the time or series I'm working on at the time. That's the foundation of all of the work that I do. With your personal work, I know you've done a lot of research. Yes. Um, so I'd love for you to talk about some of the things you've, you've researched that have influenced um, you know, the work that you're producing now. So for the personal work, um, I've always been drawn to vintage, to the old, to things that have always that have already had a history. Don't ask me why. It's just one of those things. Maybe growing <laughs> up in thrift stores my whole life. I don't know. But um, I had a conversation with um, a curator, uh, T.K. Smith. And in the conversation with T.K., I asked him to come look at the work. COVID happened. We wound up doing it virtually. Had a great conversation. And his initial words to me, you know, we had this similar conversation. He said, it's pretty, but... And he stopped. Mm. And for an artist, you never want to hear it's yeah. pretty, but what that what that means is that it's not clear what you're communicating because work can be beautiful and not say anything. And that can be fine for the artist, but for me, that was a moment to step back and say, Okay, well, what am I saying with the work? And he said, well, Toki, from everything that you're talking about, for example, I, talk, I talked a lot about the use of lace, um, velvets, very rich materials, pearls, jewelry, um, embellishing um, the individuals. And I talked about it from the stance of you would not have or did not see and I did not see us in that frame of rich materials um, having wealth. You see that as an acknowledgement of Western culture. Like we don't think anything about when you um, hear lace, you think, you know, old English people and velvet and these castles and the, the high manor. You don't, you don't think about African-Americans 
in that in the back in the day time period in that manner you think about them in cotton fields you think about them as servants you think about them as a subjugated individual and so for me i wanted to shift that mental internal narrative mm -hmm. that conversation and tk pointed that out to me he said well toki it sounds like you're talking about creolization and then i had to go do the research <laughs> Because, and I was like, well, TK, I don't, I don't mean like New Orleans and Creoles. He was like, no, 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 no. From an academic standpoint, creolization really just means a combining of cultures. And so that combining of cultures and me thinking about how would African culture have combined with Western culture had we not been brought as slaves? Had we not had the experience of subjugation. What would that look like? And also, how can I shift that narrative that the viewer has about the sitter, the subject within the work? How can I shift them from this automatic thought process of if they're in the past, they were servants, or if they were in the past, they were field hands, or they were lesser than, or, you know, how can I shift that narrative? And material culture became that research item. What is What are the symbolic elements that materials have in a society, in African society and in Western society? And how can I combine those things within the work and go beyond it's pretty? <laughs> so looking at your work, there's... Some of the, we talked about this brief, briefly, you mentioned it, um, there's this kind of feeling of like memory or yeah. dreams or imagination and yeah. this kind of spiritual uh, theme. Yeah. Um, I would love for you to dive a little deeper into uh, these themes like kind of taking place somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes sense? And why, that, why that's important, like, I guess. So my goal... I I clearly am not recreating the past. I have yeah. no interest at all in recreating the past because the, the images that I'm creating, that was not the past. Mm. What I'm more so interested in is this alternative reality of what if. What if we had treated each other with equal respect? What would that have looked like instead of you kidnapping and buying individuals and treating them as property what if you had treated them as people what if you had treated them as equal and it was a mutual exchange of ideas materials with respect across the board and their option their choice was to come to the americas and blend cultures or it was a westerner's choice to come and not take, but give and combine um, culture together within the African continent? What if it was not a, this hierarchy of who is less and, and who is more in this power structure? And so um, I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, but. <laughs> no, it does. Yeah. Um, and you briefly touched on this too, about the importance of, the ch of having children yeah. represent this. Um, so, so the, the, the notion of it being children, so children are, 
clearly I've got a, a, my educator's background comes into play. Children come in as blank slates. Mm, yeah. And everything that's written on them is through experience, whether it's through the visual, auditory, um, kinesthetic. We write who they are through their experiences. And so think about how, if you if you never see yourself in such a light, then it's difficult to imagine yourself in that space and place. And think about as a child, if all you are aware of is this narrative of slavery. And if that's the visual that you that keeps getting placed in your mind subconsciously, you think, well, maybe that was okay. Or maybe I'm lesser than the other. It's a, the conversation regarding power structure. And so I want to make sure I, I've got 50 million kids running around here I, that I've locked in the basement, not literally, but in the basement. <laughs> I did yeah. lock the door though. <laughs> I have kids. And so my kids yeah. are um, quite frequently my subjects because they're here, but I use other children as well. Mm. But I want them to be able to see themselves in that elevated light. And I want them to see themselves in conversation um, with their material culture. And of course the culture that they are in with, we're not erasing Western culture. We're in the West. Um, we live in Georgia, the West, right? But I also want them to be aware of their history, their heritage, and what that looks like, and not in a subjugated light. My husband, his um, his mom is from South Africa, so we have a lot of um, African um, artifacts from the continent, and then I do research to to pull in additional items um, for the scenes that I do. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. What are some of the elements that you've pulled that have, you know, very specific African history that you've, that you physically have pulled into the photos? Like which elements are those? So a lot of it is symbolic. So for example, and you know, it's a journey, right? Creativity is a journey. So when I initially began, the pearls, which of course are a Western item, the pearls became the substitution for African beads. Um, in African culture, beads are adornment. You adorn yourself in celebration, when people pass, when there are ceremonies. It, it is a cultural element, um, particularly West. I have to lean into well, my folks were probably from West Africa because so many um, people were kidnapped from West Africa. And so I lean into Yoruba culture. And in that culture, beads are used for ceremony. They're used for adornment on the children, on the adult. It, it's just one of those things that is built into the culture. And so I don't want to go the route of, I, I don't want to say trite, but I don't want to be so nose on that I order like an African um, collar made out of beads. And that's what I'm in. I'm putting into the scenes. I want folks to question, well, why are you using pearls? Well, if I was kidnapped from Africa, what would be in, what would be in the West? Well, pearls, pearls will be in the West. And so it becomes this conversation. I want to have conversation about the work. And I don't want it to be so nose on that it's obvious. 
So that's one element. Um, the use of lace. Lace is a Western item, but Africans have integrated into their culture directly. And so they do use lace in Africa. It's a part of ceremonies, weddings, and the like. And so you'll see the use of lace being used. Um, the newer pieces that I'm making, you see the integration of buttons. You see the integration of... Um, there's always an integration of gold if I can if I can work it in. I love gold, but gold is one of those um, treasures of Africa. Like it is pulled out of Africa, just like its people were pulled out, and so I give it back. Um, the use of the the buttons came into play. I was reading um, several articles in Jester. Don't ask me the names of the articles. I'll have to go find them. <laughs> right, but within yeah. the articles. It kept showing up that when they excavated um, areas where slaves were located, the houses or the old structures, they would find buttons in the corners of the house. And the, there's always speculation because, of course, you know, we're not holding direct conversation, but it was a not, they believe, and I believe as well, that it was a nod to um, African spirituality in that if you have an object or item from someone that offers a bit of control. You can control them, their spirit and their actions. And so you think to yourself, they, you're talking about folks who did not have control over body, time, place, their children, nothing. You're missing the ability to control yourself. But there is the belief on a spiritual level that if you have this item of the person, that you have some semblance of control. And so you think if you have the item, maybe I, I won't get beat. Maybe you won't sell my child. These are the conversations that I have with myself. Of course, I'm a storyteller. So some of it, some of it is my internal narrative that I've created for myself. But that is also why I integrate um, the buttons because it's a means of power and control. It's symbolic, like quite a bit of it. It's it's symbolic. One thing you mentioned about the gold is I noticed that you're also uh, kind of ventured into like embroidery yes, a little bit. Yes, that is my new excitement. So yes. I would love to know what what got you started on that and where that you think that's headed. Oh, I just need time. <laughs> <laughs> so with embroidery, it's mm -hmm. it's it's several. It's layered. It's layered. So literally, it's layered. So if I have lines within the work, the the way I edit, I'm trying to give it the Rembrandt, very contrasty shadows, mid-tones. It's, it's like painting with light. This for photographers. Y'all get the whole notion, right? Mm -hmm. But what I'm also trying to do, all of those things are happening digitally in layers, right? I want to physically break the break the picture plane with the embroidery and bring those elements to the physical surface. So that's one component of it. The other component of it is I'm exploring threads of connection. Mm. How how are all these things connected? Um material culture, spiritual culture, how are these individual things connected to my past 
and people who look like me, how are they connected to the past? And so literally, I'm using threads to demonstrate that. Um, plus, it looks really cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the notion of creating something that is totally unique. Um, as a photographer, technically, we can make thousands and thousands of prints of an image. I don't do that. Um, my additions for my artwork are no more than 10. But I, I, I like the notion of making something completely unique. And so my, my, my aunt, um, and it also goes back to touching on family history. My aunt who has passed away, I can remember growing up and going to her house and her teaching us how to sew. And mm -hmm. so she's passed away now, but I still am utilizing those skills that she gave us. Um, yeah, that, that's the embroidery component. Um, I'm going to be, well, I am doing embroidery, um, embroidering buttons onto the surface as well, buttons, beads, carry shells. Um, and I'm taking a gold leafing class on, on Yes, so I'm so <laughs> excited. And then I'm also yeah. exploring cyanotype. I'm exploring mm -hmm. um, encaustic. Like, I need time. <laughs> yeah. Time and... Yeah. I'm 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 the little kid who's got on their feet and has started running and you're like stop running when you're like oh please come on start can you walk and I I I'm up and running and all I need is time because I have so many things that I want to try out and it's all wonderful because I know I have friends who are like I can't think of anything to do right now I'm stuck I, I'd rather feel like I need more time so that I can create and get all of the things out that I want to explore than be stagnant without a notion or rudderless and not any idea of where mm -hmm. to go. And that's not even us talking about the photography business part of it, um, which is this whole other realm that I'm also yeah. doing. So. <laughs> Look, time. Yeah. Yeah. Which <laughs> time is a, ch is a good whole thing. challenge in and of itself. Yeah. 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 Talk a little bit about about because you seem to you're not afraid to experiment. It seems like, no. um, I feel like a lot of artists sometimes they like a fear of failure is kind of a crippling thing for them. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know what what advice would you have or how do you push past anything like that or how do you approach it? So I'll say this: it's not necessarily a fear of failure on my end. It's more so, and it might be this might be similar with other folks. I really do like thinking things out mm -hmm. and having a clear idea of what I want to do in my head before I jump. And that's not always ideal because when you do that, it's the paralysis of decision. Cause I, I'm okay. I need to know. I don't need to know every step. So like I've been talking about doing embroidery on the photographs since I got started, like, three, four years and hadn't done it. And I have this meeting with fellow artists every, every two weeks we meet and we share what we're working on. We critique the work and that's, that's that tribe. Right. And so in the last, one of my last meetings that I shared my work, i said that that's what I was going to be doing. And so they kept texting me, Hey, so where's the embroidery? What happened? 
or I would text like where, or I would post a photograph that I had edited and I was really proud of it and liked the way it looked. It was like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> or I would post it and share it with them and they wouldn't say anything. And for us, silence is an answer. Mm. Trust and believe silence is an answer. When somebody doesn't answer you and it's just pure silence, that's an answer. And so the answer that I was getting was, look, chick, this ain't what you talked about. We, we got nothing for you because this is not what we talked about. And having folks who hold you accountable for what you say you're going to do and also having the conviction to follow through. So I, I would say surrounding yourself with folks who are going to push you past that desire for perfection because creatives, we all have it. That helped me a lot. And I, I still need them to get in my, my bum and push me even further. Like I saw the, I had bought the materials for gold leafing last summer. Mm -hmm. Hadn't touched it. <laughs> <laughs> Hadn't touched it. Watch YouTube videos. Yeah. Hadn't touched it. And then out of nowhere, um, Marcy Palmer, she's a photographer with, and she, she offered a class at the Griffin Museum. Saw the class, didn't sign up. Somebody dropped out. Yeah. Somebody put, hey, we've got a, so that's a sign. You, you, I think what other folks also have to do is pay attention to signs, pay attention to what the universe is trying to tell you. You can't say you want something and then ignore the opportunity for that something to come in, into play. You can't say you want to be on a speaker stage and then when an opportunity to speak comes about, you choose not to speak, not to. So taking advantage of what's out there in front of you, I, I would strongly encourage folks to do that, particularly if you say you want to experiment when there's an opportunity to experiment or to try something new, say yes. Even though you might be like, I don't really want to do this, but say yes. You won't regret the saying of yes to something that you said you really did want to do. You won't regret it. You'll, you'll feel like you don't be, want to be bothered at the time, but when it's all said and done and you have that knowledge and that information in your head, you're like, so glad I said yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, what, what artists influence you the most? Who you know, that, that's a lot. So like, give me like two or three. <laughs> um, James Vanderzee. Yeah. I, it, it warms my soul when people tell me talk. Your work reminds me of James Vanderzee. I'm like, yes, it came through. <laughs> Not in the sense of aesthetics, but in the sense of, and I'm sure you know James Vanderzee's work. Um, James Vanderzee would photograph folks who were everyday um, husband, wife, families. They would come into the studio. They would come in and in their best. Doesn't matter if they you know, didn't have a lot of money or whatever, but they would come in in their best and he would photograph them in this elevated, very proud um, images that he would make. Now, he didn't get a lot of credit for it in his lifetime for doing that, but they've done retrospectives. I've got his um, folio on my coffee table as a reminder 
but James Vanderzee definitely is a, a great influence um, visually. Absolutely. Uh, let's mm-hmm. see. Oh my God. Oh my God. On the spot. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll say, and, and, and this is just a check a one, two to my friend. Um, I'll say Delito Martin. She's not a photographer. She's a printmaker, mixed media printmaker. And I'll say her mainly because she's in that group that we're, that I was talking about. And mm-hmm. She came and she got her photographs done and you could have knocked me over with a feather because I had been teaching her, her artwork to the students for years. And she happened to see something that I posted and she was like, oh my God, I love this. I, I need to come to the studio. And I said, oh my God, what? Wait a minute. Oh my God. So she inboxes me and she was serious. I said, okay, um, when I pass out, wake back up, pass out again and wake back up, I'll then look at my calendar and let me know what day you want to come. And so from there began this relationship of talking about the artwork and the, there's this whole side of being a creative that is not about creating. I mean, you, you as a, you own new celebs, you know, these things. There's this whole business side of being a creative that they don't talk about in schools as much as they should. And so I asked her, what was her journey like? Um, how did she get from here to there? We talked about, and we, we as a group talk about concepts and we found that we have similar interests in what we're exploring And so that dynamic of holding conversation with somebody whom you can bounce ideas off of, that's influential. And and holding it with a person who's alive and, you know, you can get that real feedback goes beyond, you know, my example of James Vanderzee, where, you know, I can read about his work and I can, you know, look at his images and, you know, try and channel the essence of that. But the ability to get critical feedback and encouragement from someone who is operating at a higher level than yourself at a level where you're trying to attain, that's immeasurable. So I would definitely say huge influence. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last question. Um, Advice for artists that are looking to get into like exhibitions or galleries. I feel like a lot of, photographers are very intimidated to start submitting work and they don't know where to start. What, what so, advice would you give? I would definitely say have something you're talking about. No. Um, in this day and age, there are a lot of pretty pictures. You, the ability to take a good photograph or a pretty photograph at this juncture in history is not it's not necessarily that difficult and it's open to the masses. So if you're trying to stand out, figure out what it is you're saying and work from that space. Because if you're saying something that is authentic to you and your voice, people notice that. And so when you're submitting for an artist call, most of the time they're going to ask you for an artist statement. Artist statement can be anywhere 200 to 500 words, but you need to, what are you talking about? 
And if you're not sure what you're talking about, holding those conversations with folks who you trust and who are in the space that you're trying to get into helps tremendously. Sometimes you got to throw money at the problem. Sometimes you, you got to sign up for a class on how to write an artist statement. If, if that is what you're genuinely, the space you're genuinely trying to get into. Um, I would say, look at there's cafe. There is, um, submittable. These are all websites that post artist calls. Um, Beyond that, build out relationships. A lot of things that come to me now, I don't have to pay the submission fee. Yes, there's a submission fee, and sometimes it is a money grab, absolutely, which means you have to do your research for the curator. Curator is the person who's pulling together the show. You have to do your research and make sure it isn't a money grab. Is this a curator you want your the, the work to be seen by that particular curator. You might not get in the show. I mean, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. But if the curator is somebody whom you want to be familiar with the work, then the $35 or $40 or whatever that price point is, it might be worth it because you're getting someone who is in the space who they they create these exhibitions. You might not even get that one, but later on down the line, Oh, yeah, let me go back and pull. Oh, yeah, I remember so-and-so's work. Same thing for portfolio reviews. Portfolio reviews, um, you're talking a panel of, of experts in the industry, curators, um, editors for magazines, um, creative directors, all those individuals, those are the folks that you do want to see your work, whether it's a fine art photographer's world, whether it's editorial whether it's commercial, those are the folks you want to want to have see your work. And yes, the portfolio re reviews cost money, but it might be money well spent in that you don't have to create this false connection. You're sitting down with them just like you and I are sitting down and you're holding a conversation about your work. But note what I said, a conversation. You've got to know what's the work's purpose. Why did you make this image? Does it say anything? Is it just pretty? If it's just pretty, then does it fit what this particular magazine, if you're shooting for a magazine or you're trying to talk to somebody who does magazines, it being pretty might be sufficient and, and not in a, I'm not saying that in a low manner, it, it's sufficient because that's what they're looking for. Be clear in who you're connecting to and why. If you're not clear, they're not going to be clear. So that that's the advice I would give. Yeah. Beyond you know making the work, and and stay yeah. growing, stay that gosh, stay growing, stay learning. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for taking your time. I know you're busy. Um, I'm inspired by what you're doing, and oh, I think it's you. incredibly important. Um, so keep keep doing what you're doing. I can't wait to see, you know, where you go from here because then it's just going to be going up, up, up. I hope so. so. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>